What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law, not Nick Nonabody. This is episode 42 of the podcast, and we are very happy you were able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses. That's exactly what this show aims to do. We are interviewing an elite player who has lost one to two games at a major event. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? We have all done it. We did it last year. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it for all times to come. I once got stuck in traffic for five hours in the city of Houston, so remembering that city stirs a lot of emotions in my heart. Hope you're all ready for a traffic jam of an episode as we head to Clutch City for the Clutch City GT. And who is hotter right now than the Golden Boys? Well, maybe Tao? But we are talking Custodes today, and one of my all-time favorites, the Crusher Stampede. As a side note, Crusher Stampede is the name of my rap album that I am about to drop. Now, this is part one of the episode. So in this part, we're going to be analyzing the game. We're going to be talking about the mission, the secondaries, common mistakes that are uh, made throughout games. We're going to be talking target priority. Part two, which is available to subscribers to theartofwar40k.com. In that part, we'll be talking strategy, list adjustments. We'll be talking about how this list plays into your list, every list under the sun. And we'll be talking about all the good things that go along with that elite player mindset. Now, my co-host today, he is notable for coming in second place at an eight-man RTT this last weekend. He otherwise has won nothing in 2022, (laughs) but here are some things that he's done in the distant past. He's the winner of the Michigan GT in 2021. He's a nine-time member of Team USA. He won Adepticon infinity amount of times. He has three top eight LVO finishes. He's the Armed Forces GT champion in 2021, 2021 ACO champion, the 2021 runner-up of the James Workshop, James Workshop, Games Workshop, New Orleans, and he is the Prime Minister of Canada still because studs and snotlings has not happened again, Mr. Brad Chester. How's it going, everyone? I love that it keeps getting worse and worse for me. I took a little yeah. time off. Blake just beats me down. Also, I'd like to throw this out here in this episode that Blake has been making so many dad jokes that he literally had to ask in one of the chats, am I getting banned from this chat for all these dad jokes? I did. like, you're on you're on probation right now, buddy. You're on probation. I want to tell that joke. We were in our MMA chat, and there's a guy called the Korean Zombie, which I think is amazing. And I asked if his brother Rob was in his corner, Mr. Rob Zombie, and no one responded for like 20 minutes. So I just assumed because we were out. all just accepting the badness of that joke. Yeah, it was bad. It was, it was like bad. a one-two combination because you've been throwing them out there pretty mad. I loved it. They were very subtle ones before that. That was just an in-your-face uh, all-out one, but. Uh, Indeed. Brad, what was your highlight of the Streamhouse RTT this last weekend? Getting to play New Eldar, man. I made a list while out of town, and I had never seen the book yet. So I made it out of pictures of the points. I now have made some adjustments, and I really like But I had a great time playing it. And it's always fun to play everybody. So I I had a, I, I think my favorite part was uh, right about turn one, when I really think I thought I had the upper fan in the finals. And then I went... Oh, yeah, I forgot that Tau can deep strike on turn one if you don't kill that guy. And I had not screened properly to not get some of my stuff killed. Uh, that turned the game around very quickly. However, I 
still made a, I still scored a bunch of points. I thought I still had it. And then, well, I didn't. <laughs> and then I lost 1,400 points in one turn on turn two. Yeah, that's, uh, that's about where that's I was real, at. That's a real thing, by the way. Uh, I was up like 50 to three for uh, several turns. And then, uh, then I didn't have models. It was uh, like a magic act. <laughs> Look at the Eldar disintegrate. Yeah, I just uh, I just played an army I never played before. Read the rules on a plane, and I played Richard Siegler, who just like demolished me with Tau. So it was uh, it was a real journey. It was a great time, actually. It was really fun. Um, my highlight was definitely the outdoor table. The outdoor table in Florida. The outdoor table was the only place to go. It was the only place to go. It was beautiful, beautiful in Florida this weekend. But let me get to our guest here today. Our guest, he is here with us for the second time. He is the TO of the upcoming Dallas Open this April. And he's making quite the stir. He made quite the stir playing Imperial Guard in 2021. You may remember our episode back in December, episode 31. If you don't, if you recall, he repis- He persisted all season with some Imperial Guard. That was kind of a tongue tie. Sorry, man. He persisted with some Imperial Guard in 2021, winning best in faction over his buddies, over several other people who were competing for that slot there at LVO. He triumphed, triumphed over everyone, and he continues to blast his way to the Texas meta, Mister Robert Moreland. Hey, how are y'all doing? I really you're like your intro there, man. I'm sorry. You're, you're one of you're one of Blake's favorite guests because you can actually say your name without just totally destroying it. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, I, I, I slammed you on your name, man. It's uh, it's the best one I've done all all, all year. Fantastic. Yeah, man, you talk real good. Talk beautiful. So, yeah. <laughs> the cool thing is, is that you went from IG and you basically just slid into another S tier army. So I mean, it probably felt exactly the same, didn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it feels fantastic. Uh, basically, just switching the win percentages. Uh, you know. Oh, we talking about lateral Seventy-five percent, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to lie. You switched at a good time because IG lately in the last three weeks has went from doing bad to apparently as soon as you abandoned them, they jumped off a cliff in their win percentage. I mean, that, that was an army already on life support. And whenever they said no more souping sub factions, I was like, all right, well, I guess they're done. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. That's just like a, they got a lot of people, weird stuff. Didn't they get a uh, points increase on the mana core too, for no reason? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, like yeah, hey, like, I, I used to Look what's inside this box. It's another fist. <laughs> it was funny because like in an related, but not related. Cause I, I just saw something shiny and now I need to talk about it. But like that sub faction hit was supposed to be for gray knights when they were pummeling everybody effectively. And it barely affected the gray knights. I guess it did affect the gray knights just by a grandmaster dreadnought. It just put the beats to sisters and IG. Uh, I think they were the, the most heavily hit because they subfaction the most and got the most out of their subfactions. I feel. Well, I mean, and that's the only way either earlier codexes or eighth edition codexes could realistically compete. They they had to pull every single tool that they could from their books to make it work. And whenever they made that change, it just it sucked all the life out of them. Yeah, the, I have to give it to the chaos people before they yell at me for that. Also, chaos. Completely affected. Before I forget, yes. we need to get we need to just talk about Dallas Open for a minute here, man. Tell us a little bit about it. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So April 29th uh, to May first is uh, Dallas Open three day event. Uh, Two hundred and fifty six people, eight rounds for everybody, and uh, that way we'll be allowed to have one undefeated winner. Uh, we're going to have several events going on there in addition to the forty k tournament. 
so we'll have competitive 40K. We'll have a narrative 40K event, uh, casual Age of Sigmar event, Star Wars Legion, Middle Earth singles event, and a Middle Earth doubles event. In addition, we also partnered with Art of War and will be offering both a beginner and advanced classes on the Thursday prior to the event happening on April 28th. So we're really excited for it and uh, have met up with the hotel. Everything's set up, ready to go. We'll be releasing previews of Terrain and the mission packet will be coming out shortly. You had me a narrative, but I will be there teaching also. You'll be able to learn how to come in second place at an eight-man RTT. Oh, it's, shut um, up. You can almost get there. You'll learn how to I, almost get I'm, there. I'm with just, just going to say that both you guys put up together in, in the two games against Seags. You didn't put up as many points as I did in my one game. Yeah. Well, I put up like 60, so uh, that was you odd. You didn't uh, put up 60. I did, too. I put up like 62. You, the, boo. Yeah. Blake, I think they just handed him a, a participation award that said, you got points, buddy. <laughs> no. I abandoned all hope of winning and just tried to score points so I could say that I scored 60 points. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do dumb stuff because uh, I want to score some points so I don't look like a complete idiot. And um, yeah. See, 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 he killed you on turn two and then he came back on turn five and he went, what'd you do with your guys? Oh, what happened to them? Oh my gosh, they're all gone. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, you also have a Marvel Crisis Protocol event too, don't you, at Dallas Open? Is that, so is that happening? I, I only know that because... Well, there was a chat today in Arkansas where they were all like, we're going to Dallas Open for Marvel. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I believe that is uh, something that we'll be offering. Um, it'll be there. We're starting to get a little tight on space. Um, but, um, you Tell know, me about, I, the, I tell me about the hotel, Robert. Say again? That's a, that's a lot of events. Tell me about the hotel that you guys are holding this in. So we'll be over at the Sheridan. It's about 15 minutes away from Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. Um, and... That's pretty sweet in and of itself, by the way, for somebody like somebody like me that's traveling. So, yeah. So, I definitely encourage anyone that's uh, planning on going to book your rooms as soon as possible. Thursday night, uh, those rooms have already sold out. Uh, so, we're we're really trying to make sure uh, the experience is good for everyone and uh, really, really uh, like offer things that help you play the game better. You know, it's yeah. like we, we've all sat there and gotten. Like weird little things in a goodie bag that I'm like, okay, well, this doesn't really help you in a game. So, um, you know, even with our swag bags, we're really looking at focusing on the player experience and offering things that that better your game and um, make it a memorable event for everyone. And with the location, it's easy to go out and do other things in combination with attending the event. Sounds awesome, brother. Tell me a little bit about Clutch City's terrain. Let's just, let's just jump right into it because I, I went to Clutch last year and it was a little bit wacky. They had some magic boxes. They had some other kind of uh, things you don't see a lot of in events these days. So what was it like this year? Oh, okay, so it was, the terrain was completely revamped. Um, uh, Colin uh, McDade, the TO for the event, uh, did a fantastic job uh, redoing a lot of the terrain and offering a uh, a lot different experience as opposed to last year. Uh, last year, they're like you were saying, uh, kind of a magic box effect and some pieces of terrain that were just a little too large and impacted the game in a way that um, it, it was kind of an unwelcome dynamic. Um, I still enjoyed the event last year, but this year um, I, I thought the train was, it, it seemed to be, play tested beforehand and still offered a lot of different tactical challenges. 
And um, I, I, I enjoyed the train. I thought it was really well done. Was there any specific style they went with, or was it more like uh, just kind of their custom uh, custom setup? Yeah, it was uh, MDF terrain. Okay. Was it player placed or set? No, it, it was set. So uh, they went ahead and got the Dawn of War missions out of the way on day one. And then after, um, after they were complete, they took a short pause to readjust the train for the other missions. I think that's still my favorite, to tell you the truth, as far as how to do the terrain. And this is coming from a person that plays a lot of player place terrain, so I feel like I'm very good at it. But I do just love the fact that I think it evens it out just a little bit more. Because if I play a lot of player place terrain, uh, it is a big advantage for say, against somebody, especially even a, a person of equal skill. If I just play more player place terrain than you, I just have the advantage. It also saves you time if it's just boom there. As long as it's player, it, it, it adjusts to the mission. As long as it adjusts to the mission, usually set terrain is fine and you just move on. And I really do enjoy those uh, events like that. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Uh, I, I think we even talked about it the last time I was on here with player place terrain. Uh, if you're playing a player that maybe doesn't have as much experience as you do, chances are you're already going to win. But if you're able to manipulate the terrain in a way that gives you just an insane advantage, it can create feel bad moments. Do you uh, did the terrain layout affect the way you put your list together? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, usually I could say yes, but with custodes, you're there aren't a lot of options to <laughs> yeah. begin with. I love your list, by the way. Hit me with the list real quick because I want to ask you a question about one thing in the list, and I love a lot of the things in your list. So right from the get-go, probably the thing that would catch a lot of people's eye is the fact that I chose to run emissaries as opposed to emperors chosen. Um, so with emissaries, I, uh, there's a, the, um, I have a friend, uh, kind who also runs emissaries and we've had a lot of conversations about it. And whenever you look at, uh, emperor's chosen, their main shtick is being able to choose another, uh, shield host, right? But in order to get the most effectiveness out of that, you have to spend one CP a turn and it affects one unit. So that's five CP over the course of the game. That's five less emperors, auspices, five less transhumans that are available to you. And on top of that, if you wanted to interrupt, that's even more CP. So in essence, your survivability goes down substantially with emperors chosen. Because immortal wounds, everyone talks about that. I don't know. And people are still choosing not to bring psychers because they keep thinking Thousand Suns and Grey Knights are every other game. They're not. It's it's not as prevalent in the meta. So with Emperor's Auspice, my first game was a mirror match against Custodes. I kept a tally of how many free interrupts I got from the fight first. It was 18 CPs worth over the course of that game. Jeez. Well, tell everybody what the emissaries give, because a lot of people don't know. They know Shield, Shield, they, that. They know uh, Emperor's Children. Just the Emperor's, cho no, Emperor's Chosen. Chosen. Yeah, probably, sir. probably not going to put in all the chaos. And then they know. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, Emperor's Chosen is army wide fight first and ignore all hit and wound modifiers. So um, it's a big. I deal. guess yeah, it, it ends up it can end up being a huge deal. So um, moving to for different parts of my list. So um, for HQs, of course, I had Trajan. He's too cheap and point efficient not to. Um, then I also had a captain on jet bike, uh, 
pretty bare bones. Uh, he just was holding uh, the Castellan's Mark relic for the redeploy for me. And then I also had good old Mr. Worldwide uh, shield captain and Alaris Terminator armor with a Praetorian plate with Radiant Mantle to provide the minus one to hit and the superior creation for the five up field no pain. And then for troops, I had three units of Sagittarian Guard, with, all with Mystic Concordias to ensure that they're still effective in close combat. And then. So uh, underrated, too, on that. Strength 5, AP 2, 12 attacks is just crazy for a troop squad that you really think of as a shooting unit. No, it's nuts. And they hit on twos. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like, okay, yeah, uh, that, that, that unit's dead. Or even better. Hey, I'm turning on the Katah of Rindax. I'm auto-wounding your monster vehicle on a six. But um, with the elite choice, I had one Achilles Dread with Adraphic Destructors just for some more flat three damage in anticipation of mirror matches. And then I also brought the uh, Banner Guy for a nine-inch minus one to hit bubble. Um, that's the emissary specific warlord trait that I gave him to extend the range by three inches. And I also gave him the relic of anyone shooting outside of that bubble. They're in the bubble shooting outside of it gets to ignore cover. So, um, then of course I had three by three of salvo launcher bikes. I like, I like this Vexillus Alpredor quite a bit. I like the minus one to hit relic, especially in a meta where, the most popular armies are Tau and Custos. So it really comes into play with that uh, when you're ignoring modifiers and other people aren't. So I, I do like that trickery right there, uh, just looking into what's currently being played. What's yeah. your plan yeah. on this yeah. list? What's your plan for secondaries? Like, what are you building into in this list? So I typically build into Stranglehold to take advantage of the always fight first. So I can always just bully people off of objectives, force them to make decisions that they just don't want to make, or just force them to charge only one unit at a time, which allows me to fully buff them with turning off rerolls and um, transhuman. Right, And then uh, I also uh, planned on taking um, banners, typically, is custodes are terrible for rod or uh, R and D as it is as it's known now. Rend and um, the last one uh, was typically opponent specific, um, but it usually ended up just being grind. Um, yeah, just uh, I'll, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to kill more of you than you do with me. It's fair. It is it is funny that as unbelievably good as custodes are, they're amazing. And then they have two secondaries, and then you kind of go, eh, that third secondary is kind of out there. It's just a smidge. Yeah. yeah. Their book ones are uh, lackluster. So, no good. So, Brad, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the list that he played there, that Crusher? Double Patrol Crusher Stampede. We have a Neurothrope, a Swarm Lord, a unit of three Tyranid Warriors. With the synaptic leaf for the plus one, of course, scythe herodul, a Toronto Fex. And then we have a second patrol with the hive tart coming in with all of the goodies. Another unit of tiered warriors with a plus one, a Horospex, a Maliceptor, and a Demericon. And rounding it out isn't no, I saw sorry, that's a lie because it's barely cutting it off my screen. We have an Exocrine and a Harpy. 
which oh. I do love the harpy because yeah. the harpy has that fight last uh, with everybody that's in engagement with them, which can be a big deal on that. And it's just another thing that can snipe out characters. Uh, it's something that's especially to look at uh, in any army on that because the harpy doesn't actually isn't a flyer. It just moves 30 inches. So it can go move 30 inches, snake next to your character, and all of a sudden put that strat on you and you take six mortals and go, oh, so he's not a flyer? No. <laughs> yeah, so, that's, uh, that's something I didn't know, actually, in my game this weekend. I thought he was just, like, always seen, and I could have freaking obscured him, like, turn one. I was like, oh, that was a mistake. Oh, he's so good for that. Just yeah. getting those getting those six mortals every turn is one of the scariest things in the Crusher Stampede list. It's just mortals, mortals, and more mortals, basically. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the, the mission and everything that we were looking at. <clears throat> so, uh... I don't recall the new name of the mission, but it was Vital Intelligence, uh, yeah. whichever one that one. Dita's you know, whole two, whole three, yeah. objectives. Yeah, I love the fact that Vital in the new book just basically didn't change at all. It's exactly the same. They yep. changed yeah. the name. Yeah, it, it really is exactly the same. So, what's your plan when you look at this? What's your plan for primary on most of the time when you come into a similar like setup? Uh, unfortunately, uh, walking up to the table, knowing that Crusher Stampede is a hard counter to what I was running with all of the minus one damage and five up invuls, um, I knew I had to go first, um, and I didn't get to go first. So that hurts because, uh, emissaries also have the ability to really apply the pressure onto an opponent because they have a scout move strat, emissary specific. So with how he deployed, um, I was hoping to be able to scout move up my Achilles Dread and hit him hard first turn and at least kill one of those big bugs. Nice. But wasn't able to make it out. What secondaries did you take and what secondaries did he take in this game? So I ended up taking Bring It Down, uh, a natural choice because I could max it pretty easily. Yeah. And then uh, I... I took Stranglehold and Banners, actually. Uh, I was planning on scoring uh, a lot more in the late game, which I, I did end up scoring more on Banners in the late game. I got like four or five Banners on the last turn, so I, I had a pretty big point swing there. But uh, he ended up taking Psychic Interrogation, um, what else did he take? Uh, engage and uh, uh, no prisoners. Does your list give up no prisoners? Uh, no, it only had 95 wounds. Yeah, okay. I was just about to say. He's, it doesn't give it up. Uh, crazy. And that's, a, that's a hard 95 to take right. down, too. So. so tell me about this game on that. You've got he goes first. And is he pushing to one side? Is he going to the bottom two, top two? Is he moving kind of middle set? So give us the synopsis of what went down. So with him being able to go first, it with the movement that he has with the Swarm Lord and a lot of the fast movers, you know, uh, his uh, Tran effects and Demacaron or Demacaroon, as I like to call him, right? Mm -hmm. He was able to move out onto a lot of the objectives, and with it being sticky objectives, knowing, hey, look, turn two, he's able to fully commit. Um, because he's he moved a unit of warriors out to. Uh, um, to me, it would have been the bottom right objective, and um, because that, that is a subtle change to vital that they made. Uh, it's only sticky if an objective secured unit actually makes it on there. Um, but 
it just allowed him to get such good good board control at that point and uh, forced me to really start fighting on the objectives. And he was able to make the bet that he could take such a strong lead in the beginning that I wouldn't be able to overcome it. And he was right. Like, uh, I was able to, uh, to kill a lot. I mean, the board was looking real sparse on his side at the end of the game, but I couldn't overcome the, the primary is able to achieve early game. The initial presence that has taken all that, scoring a lot early. Even if you kill him, he's taken such a demanding lead on the um, on the primary. You weren't able to kind of come back on that. No, no, I, I wasn't because uh, at any given time he could just—I uh, say any given time—at the start of his command phase, he could go ahead and just make one of those big bugs opsec and. And it's per, I was saying it's per wound too that it counts too. So you exactly. use a CP and then you just make an opsec and it goes, it counts as 18 models. So. And it's sticky at that point, actually, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. Yep. Now, did um, he go bottom? Did, did he commit to one side or did he go a little bit to both? Because you said he brought those oh, warriors down and your, your bottom right and then came in with some of the other big bugs. Uh, was he basically focused on your bottom right or was he going? Bathed? bottom and top kind of just to set us up so, on what the board looks like. Yeah. So, uh, he, he initially, uh, tried to make the move to the middle and then, uh, with his Tyrann effects, I believe, uh, with the guy with the wings. Right. And, uh, then he chose to go ahead and have him overrun to move back to an objective. Uh, he was pushing more to my top left. Uh, he ended up sending, uh, just a very, uh, basically just the warriors to the bottom right. So I sit in a unit of bikes over there just to try to force him to address it. And it was the harpy uh, that managed to kill them all uh, unexpectedly because uh, the, the relationship with four ups can be very fickle. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yes, yeah, it, yeah. it is. Yep. Oh, hey, here's transhuman. All right. You're, you rolled all four ups. Okay. That's good for you. I failed them all. My bikes are dead, right? Yeah. Um, with full intention of having Mr. Worldwide teleport over there just to try to continue to be a nuisance over there. But he primarily pushed to my top left because uh, that's where I had the bulk of my army to try to make a push is uh, the firing lanes were a lot better there. When you look at that board and you say, man, I really wish I would have gone first. What what and how does your strategy change uh, going into turn one? You've seen what he's done now. You've seen that he's taken the board state. How do you change your strategy to say, I'm winning this game by doing X, Y, and Z? So as soon as uh, I realized he had first turn, I utilized my redeploy to um, pull yep. uh, one unit of bikes off the line and one unit of Sagittorum off the line. Um, and in anticipation of him utilizing the swarm Lord to try to get a turn one charge. Uh, I still left a unit of Sagittorum uh, obscured behind a building to allow him to try to charge it. Um, hoping that he would take the bait. He did. Uh, he um, did go ahead and charge up, kill uh, my banner guy, which didn't really matter to me that game. Um, and he did go ahead and overrun, leaving that uh, the Tran effects out in the open. And I was hoping to utilize my salvo launchers for a hard pushback and try to eliminate two or three big bugs that turn. And then 
ideally throw him off balance enough that I could try to bully him off of objectives. Um, my counterpunch wasn't as effective as I would have liked. Um, uh, that five up involve seems like it always comes up more often than it should. And uh, I mean, he was just able to utilize his movement to uh, just push me off. Was there a chance of when once you started going second, uh, when he came down to his, your bottom, your bottom right? Did you think about going uh, just really like basically all in committing on the top left, and then with the added incentive of basically making that long move with the <clears throat> with the bikes, uh, just because if you can get get into his backfield, you can actually stop him from doing that data intercept. Uh, because they can only do it on their home field objective. So I was thinking, once he kind of committed to your bottom right, if you went top right, top left, you know, twenty-two inch uh, use the stance for advance and charge. Uh, you actually you you ignore modifiers anyways, but uh, get a couple shots and then basically just go more harder into him. Was that a potential, or was that kind of cut off by the way he originally moved? So he, uh, uh, this is huge credit to my opponent um, uh, that. I'm not sure if he goes by Kit or Kit Smith or whatever, um, but he actually kept his harpy back until um, turn. I believe it was turn three, possibly even turn four, to prevent anyone from trying to uh, hit up his backfield objective. Um, it, he he actually did exercise a lot of tactical patience and only pushed up what he needed to at the time to ensure that he main control that maintain control of the primary. So um, whenever he was able to take out that unit of bikes on my bottom right, uh, it eliminated a lot of options for me, uh, and I I ended up being decisively engaged in the top left. Is custodes just they, they don't have a lot of units, and once you have a plan, it's really hard to go ahead and change yeah, it. Have a set different plan, yeah. I play, I guess, mm-hmm. playing with and against, uh, playing with custodes and against custode, and playing with Crusher Stampede and against Crusher Stampede. I was just thinking to myself that going somewhere else, you know, where basically where he came down a little bit might have been the way because uh, I always worry this matchup uh, just because of the fact that the Crusher Stampede. With their multi-damage on everybody, the mortals when they hit you, and the fact that they can spike big either way and the four-ups become super big because of the fact that every single failed save means I might lose an entire bike because most of them are doing 3 plus D3 damage on that. Uh, So I was just thinking that maybe that, you know, taking that top opposite way is just you've got some stuff down here. I'm going to overcommit over here. And kind of make you do something about it because without they do have once you know one unit that's going to be super fast with a swarm lord buffing them up, but as a whole, your bikes and everything are just faster than that. Also, tell me how my boy the the Achilles Dreadnought performed. Tell me he didn't get one shot because I love that guy. Hmm. Oh no, he he killed the the macaroon by himself. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that thing is an absolute monster. Um, and uh, I mean, it's a fully kitted out with four extra shots of assault, which assault is fantastic for an emissary's army because I just ignore that. Yeah. Uh, so um, the four extra shots of strength five, neg three for three is fantastic. And then once he gets in there to charge, I also, uh, he was the eternal pinning it. 
So uh, the extra attack, re-roll charges. Um, yeah, he's he's a huge part in trying to. I think he murdered like three big bugs by himself. Nice. He does so much damage with that dread spear. It's just crazy. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's just looking for his opportunity because he's the slower guy in the army. Everybody else is either moving super fast or shooting super far, and then he's like kind of standing there, giving the Highlander. Fight me. Come <laughs> You're not going to be happy if you do, but come on in. I'll come on. Yeah. And they just, they integrate so well with the rest of the army um, because they, they saw off core. So if you choose to push him up, he's getting reroll ones to hit with the bikes. And um, if you know what direction you're planning on going during your turn in your command phase, you go ahead and get, I think it's wisdom of the ancients, I think is the name of the strat. So oh, yeah. he can just give out a uh, reroll one. So good. So yeah. good. So it's like, all right, hey, I'm hitting you on twos rerolling and wounding you on twos rerolling. Yeah. Hey, that's dead. You can go and pick it up. <laughs> yeah, the consistency of custodes is fantastic. So not making fun of your guard, but how did it feel? I mean, it, it had to be a big switch. I know it's a, a, a definitely, a, obviously, a higher tier army, but. It is a big difference between playing a very heavy body-centric army and then playing Custodes, which is very low units. So you have less, you have kind of less room to mess up, though, in some of your moves, though, because every time you make a misplay, that's 300 points. So how did it feel so, coming back from that? So one thing I've noticed with a lot of Custody players um, is they, they, they think Custodes are invincible, um, and they're not. It comes down to a four-up involved. So uh, after playing guard for almost the entire season last season, uh, I still treat my custodes like they're guardsmen, uh, like they're super brittle. Like I, I don't take every shot I can get. I, I'm just trying to score points, and I treat them like they're guardsmen. I, um, you know, and I, I think that's such a great stance on that. Right? I mean, literally, I'm, we're bringing in some custodes at Adepticon, and everybody said the same thing when I started to play. I'm like, are you playing like you're playing your Eldar? I'm like, yeah, man, because anything can happen. It's a four up. How about we just don't yeah. take any save? How about we hide? <laughs> just, it just don't get shot at all. Yeah, it, it, and, and that forces my, it's something I'm starting to notice uh, as I continue to play more and more games with Custodes. By just hiding like that, it really allows me to take advantage of the emissaries always fight first because it forces my opponent to start making charges to get me off of these objectives that I just refuse to peek out from. And when they do, I make them suffer for it. Now, how did it feel when you, um, when you had to play your buddy Brett, when he was still, he's still on the IG train. So you had to play in what round four of uh, clutch here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were joking about getting paired up that round during lunch too. Uh, Preview to this, you did not treat him well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, man, I know every single thing that guard can do. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he made it 3-0 to get there, too. So rough times for Brett. But uh, I believe in you, Brett. You can, uh, you're can. you going to win uh, win some stuff with IG this year. I feel it. So, oh yeah, I mean, guard still has a lot of tricks. People still underestimate him, and he uh, he definitely has the skill to take advantage of uh, that knowledge gap that a lot of people have with guard. Sweet. 
Well, Robert, thanks for joining us, man. We're going to get you in the Bradning, the Brad Hour Part 2 here shortly. So thanks for joining us, and everyone just check out Part 2. Absolutely. Thank you. For those who don't know, we have two other podcasts. We have The Art of Vanilla with the Kiwis. I can't Steve Jewell. Is it Steve Jewell? Is that right? It is Steve Steve Jewell, yeah. And the boy king, John Lennon. And then we also have the very American, very patriotic Art of War down under with the late and the great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are the Art of War Unbroken, the pistachio of the Art of War family. And I was on on the last two episodes of of, uh, Down Under also. So you're the most patriotic part of that show. You know, you were, I am. You were saluting the flag as you I was read waving the, codex. the flag. That was my background while we were reading the Elder Codex. It better have been. I'm going to go back and watch. Thanks for listening, everybody. Join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com. 